0: we will consider the seventh day of creation together. Starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning as we have sung for your faithfulness to us. We pray this morning for those 23 mothers who uh, received gifts from our church, tangible encouragement. Instruction in book form on how to be a mother stories from the scriptures to read to their children baby bottles to feed them clothes to change them into would those moms know that they are loved not only by this church but that they are loved by you would this tangible act of love point them towards Jesus we pray as we turn to your scripture now and we consider the Sabbath rest. What you have instilled in your creation, that we work and we rest. Would our hearts be encouraged? Would you instruct our minds? Would you, for many in this room, slow us down? Would you remind us? that we find our ultimate rest in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This, our fourth and final week here in the uh, first creation account in scripture before we move into uh, the uh, unique creation of Adam and Eve in the garden of God in chapter two, we consider the seventh day. Already over the last month, we've seen that God, in his good creation, established order. He created everything, the heavens and the earth. That earth and heavens that he created were as a formless lump of clay, void, uninhabitable by anything. And God formed that which he created into that which he called very good. He filled that earth with all living things. Creating as the crowning work of his creation man and woman. Setting them with dominion representing God in his own image over his creation. And then... God does something unexpected. You may say, wait, this is not unexpected. I know this story. I know what God does on the seventh day. But imagine that you were reading this for the first time. Imagine that you did not know that God was the creator of the heavens and the earth. Imagine that you had not received the revelation of God, that he had set this universe in order as Genesis 1 tells us, that the sun is not God, but God is the creator of the sun, that the created things on this world and this earth are not gods. They are created things by God, that we, humanity, are not gods ourselves. God is over us and we are in his image. Imagine that for the first time you have heard that truth and then God does something that you would not expect a God to have to do. He rests. He rests. Why is the question that we seek to ask today? Why would God rest why in this creative creation account of this work week of God are there 6 days of God working to create and 1 day of God working or 1 day of God resting from that work. Well, verse 1 just states fact to us. And that is that the Lord completed his creation and ceased from creating. Look at verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. Verse 1 and verse 1 particularly tells us that there was a definite end to the creative work of God in totality. God on this day was done that the creative act of God finished. This is why he says, "Thus the heavens and the earth were finished." It would be best, possibly, to read that as on the seventh day, uh, in verse two. On the seventh day, God had finished, or by the seventh day, God finished that His creative work were contained within those six days. Now, if you're if you have not been here for the previous sermons, I'll, I'll point this out because it's going to be important again later in the text that we're not going to squabble over the length of these days that there are going to be people gathered here in the congregation that believe that this was that these days represent instantaneous acts of God, mere milliseconds in our time that God brings these things about. There would be others who would ascribe uh, a literal reading of 24-hour solar days. There'd be others that would see these as being millennia of time between evening and morning because to to God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day or a mixture of any of these as we read the text. And we're not squabbling over that. However, you read those days, here's what you need to understand about the seventh that God stopped doing what he was doing. That the work that he completed through the sixth day was finished. This reminds us of the words of Christ on the cross it is finished. Our salvation secured, firmly, complete, done, nothing else left to do. The sacrifice had been paid. The same is true here. All that needed to be created, all that needed to be set in order, all that was needed for God to establish his pattern for his universe was and is done. He had finished by the seventh day creation and he stopped working and on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done it's also important to note that this was his work that he had done alone the work of creation is and remains to be the entirely attributed to God alone that he is the creator Of the heavens and the earth. So the end reminds us of the beginning. The beginning of this account. account. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the end of this account God finished. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. That these are bookends to the work week of God. The seventh, the description of the seventh day, like the preceding days, is done so in high prose. This is not poetry, but it is written intentionally to draw our attention to what God has done. If you were here four weeks ago and we looked at the first verse of Genesis 1, you'll remember me saying there were seven days, there were seven words in that. Verse. There were 14 words in the second verse. There are seven days of creation. There were uh, multiples of seven of times that God said it was good or that the Bible tells us that God created. We see that same pattern here in the first part of chapter 2. That the second line of verse 1 and the first, uh, uh, the second line of, sorry, the first line of verse 2 and the first two lines of verse 3 each contain Seven words. And in the middle of each of those lines is the phrase, the seventh day, highlighting the importance of the last day of God's work week. This brief passage, closing out the work week of God in creation, is intended to highlight for us something that God did for our good. He rested. Not that he needed to rest, but that he did so for us. The Lord demonstrated weekly rest for the good of his creation. This is the practical nature of the Sabbath. If you're new, the the Sabbath is the rest that we Uh, that the people of God embrace, that God demonstrates to us here, that the Old Testament people of God instituted within their community and that we, the New Testament people of God, still are called to live within, just as we will see as we'll walk through this in a moment, in in somewhat of a different way. So I will use the the term seventh-day rest and Sabbath interchangeably here, likely. But God rests as a demonstration for us that we, his creation, also need to rest. The second part of verse 2 reads, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Restating what has already been told to us. Emphasizing the point that God worked and then God rested. But don't imagine for a moment that, that God needed this rest. That God is a battery that, that created for six days in some type of limited energy source. And that limited energy source drained down to where God needed to recharge it. That's not what happened at all because that's not what we believe to be true about God. That's not what the scripture reveals about him. In Psalm 121, we read, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God didn't need to rest. Omnipotent energy does not need to be replenished. God is not like the battery on your phone that has to be plugged in every night or it won't work the next day. God was not tired on the seventh day. Now, as we think of the creative act of God, as we imagine this expansive universe in which we live and the, and the deep down to the very details of microorganisms and the cells that, that make up life, we would think just how tired we would be if we had to even comprehend all of that creative act of God. But he was not tired because he, omnipotent God, neither slumbers nor sleeps. Jesus affirms this truth in John 5, 17, where he says, my father is working until now, and I am working. God continues to work. He was still working on the seventh day. Now, I know some of you are saying, wait, the Bible's telling us God rested on the seventh day. What do you mean? God rested from the work that he had done. It doesn't mean that God was not doing anything, okay? God didn't kick up in his lounge chair and, and binge Netflix. All right. He didn't put it on college football and just sit there and not know what was going on because he needed, he needed to recharge his batteries a little bit. That's not what happened. God continued to work. His work shifted. He ceased his creation, creating work and took up his sustaining work. You see, if God were to stop working, we would cease to exist. If God were to stop working, everything that we are would come apart. This entire universe would be ripped asunder because it is God who sustains everything. So God is continuing his work here on the seventh day. But he is demonstrating to his creation the need to stop working. The need to rest. So then. The importance of the seventh day is this demonstrated rest. God demonstrates the necessity of his creation to work and to rest. God built in the need for rest in his creation. Before the fall, before sin so ravaged this creation, we were to rest. It is part of the pattern of God that we will work and rest. If you think, for instance, heaven is going to be lying around on a cloud all day with your feet up, you've got a misunderstanding of what heaven will be. If heaven is the restoration to the pattern of God, then work and rest will be a part of it. That we too will do just as the first peoples did before sin entered the world. We will work and we will rest because work and rest are good things. Now, I say work is a good thing, and some of you really push back. I'm going to talk more about work as a good thing next week. So just be ready for those of you that don't think of work as a good thing. But I also say rest is a good thing, and some of you really push back against that too because you don't like to rest. You like to work. You like to go. You don't ever like to sit around. You get real fidgety when you have to. You don't, you don't want to rest. You don't want to vacation. You don't to take your time off. You don't want to do anything like that. Listen to me. You need to rest. God has established within his created order the necessity of rest. And he demonstrated to his creation that we should do so by doing so himself. He stops creating and he rests so we can see to do so as well. This last Wednesday, I did our quarantine devotion on Facebook Live. And I quoted from a book called Zeal Without Burnout. And in that book, he addresses Sabbath rest. And this is what Christopher Ash, the author of that book writes. He says, God needs no day off, but I am not God, so I do. God didn't need to rest on the seventh day. He chose to rest on the seventh day so that he would demonstrate to us what it meant to rest in a good way. Then he commands that of his followers. In Exodus 20, when God is, is... Speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, delivering the covenant between God and his people, culminating in the Ten Commandments, the fourth of those commandments is this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So here in the Ten Commandments, God commands Sabbath rest. And there's, We're going to see, because we're going to come back to Exodus 20, in the next point, we're going to see there's really two reasons God does this. But the first is because it's necessary. You see, very often we misunderstand the Ten Commandments because we just don't see them as practical as they actually are. And there is a practical nature to the fourth commandment. And here's what it is. You need to rest. You need to stop. You need to put your work in its compartment and you need to set it over there and stop doing it for a little while or else you're going to pay the price. So God institutes for practical reasons Sabbath rest between he and his people Israel. Jesus, looking at Sabbath rest, speaks of it in this way in Mark 2:27. He said, "The Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath." See, he says this because some Pharisees were questioning why Jesus' disciples were picking grain and eating it on the Sabbath. You know why they were doing it? They were doing it because he was hungry, they were hungry, and it was the only way they were going to get some food. But the Pharisee says, "How dare you do that? That's working, right?" And so Jesus points him to the Old Testament, a story where David and his men ate bread that was in the temple on the Sabbath day. And he says they were right to do so because they were hungry, and we're hungry, and we're going to do it as well. Because the Sabbath was made for man, that it's for our good. Now, it's for every, again, this is creation. This means it's for everyone's good. So far, this has been a pretty secular message. I could make this speech as a TED Talk somewhere. And secular people would be like, he's right. We all need to rest. But this is not a TED Talk. This is not a secular environment. I'm speaking to the congregation of God, Christians. Christians, you need, we need to understand something. Rest is worship. You say, what? Yes, rest is worship. It's worship because by resting, we are telling God that we trust in him. By by resting, we are telling God that we can't solve every problem in our lives, no matter how long or how hard we work at them. We rest, and that rest worships God. Years ago, I had another pastor tell me this that I have applied in my own life. This is the best thing you can do as a pastor who's preaching on Sunday mornings is to take a nap on Sunday afternoons. And he told me that, I was, a re- I was a younger guy then. And I asked, I was like, why? Is it because you're tired after you preach? You know, I would preach in his stead sometimes and I'd be able to bounce right back. You know, I was, I was a young buck and it didn't matter. And I was like, why does it, do you get tired, you know, preaching? I was like, yes, I get tired preaching and you too will one day. But that's not why I'm telling you that. So I why why are you telling me to do that? He says, because it's telling God, it's your work now. I'm done doing what I can do. All I could do was faithfully proclaim the gospel. And and now, God, it's up to you. And the best way that I can demonstrate to God that it's up to him is I could go home, put my head on my pillow, and sleep for a little while. Because there's nothing I can do about it any longer. And if you ask my family, they'll tell you. The thing we do on Sunday afternoon is we rest. We rest. Because I can say to God, I've done everything I can do. And, And I give it to you. So your rest is worship unto God. Next we see the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. This is the doctrinal significance of the Sabbath. He says in verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Again, we are reminded that God stopped working that the work that he had done, he ceased from doing. But we're given new information in verse 3. We're told that God blessed it. Just as God had blessed man and woman in, on the sixth day, God has blessed the seventh day. He's made it holy, meaning he has set it apart. It's to be set apart as something different and unique that it is more than just we need rest. Now, hear me, before I move into the doctrine, let me just emphasize this one more time. You need to rest. God resting on the seventh day, God instituting the Sabbath for his people, and that being a regular theme within Scripture, practically speaks this truth to us. You need to stop every now and then. You need to take a break. You need to put your phone down. And rest. But that is not the only reason God rests on the Sabbath day. If it were, it would still be good advice. If it were, it would still be worship unto God. But there is a deeper doctrinal significance to seventh day rest. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, again, I told you this was going to come back up. When we talked about the days, I said we're not going to squabble over how long these these days were, and I gave you my uh, my take, and I preached those verses from my understanding. And, and this is what I said by, by by applying a work week understanding of. Uh, By applying a work week understanding to uh, the creation account, where we don't say this has to be one thing, but it could be um, anything God says that it is, because they're God's work days, contributes to a discussion of things like uh, the age of the earth or the age of the universe, uh, but it certainly had a doctrinal influence on our understanding of day seven. And so now we get to that. Here's what you need to understand. I do not believe that day seven was a 24-hour day. I don't. Even if you ascribe 24-hour days to the other, and that's a good conversation that we could have, I don't think you should to day seven. You'll notice that one thing is lacking from the description of day seven that existed in all the others. It never says, and there was evening and morning. You see, the seventh day has not closed. God is still in the seventh day. God is no longer creating. He has changed from his creative work to his sustaining work. And he has blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And we live in God's seventh day, that God is no longer creating anything. Nothing, is, nothing new is popping up. God has finished his creative work. He is resting. It doesn't mean that God is still not active, but God is not active in the same way that he was creative, active during the act of creation. We live in that seventh day. There is no evening and morning because we still function within the offered rest of God. But that leads us to this question. How is the seventh day something more than just earthly rest from our labors? It is a demonstration of earthly rest from our labors, but it is more than that. Well, how so? Now, you'll notice if you have the copy of the notes there, there's a lot of scripture. I'm going to invite you to hold on because we're going to go relatively quickly through these because seventh-day rest and Sabbath is an important theme from the beginning of the Bible through the end. And we're going to see the progression of this and see how Sabbath Uh, becomes this doctrinal idea that is significant to us as believers today, not only how we live today, but the future hope that we have in Christ. So let's start here. When was the Sabbath day rest instituted? Because I've already read from Exodus 16, right, where God has... No, sorry, from Exodus 20, where God has instituted Sabbath rest into his Ten Commandments. But if you back up four chapters, you get to Exodus 16. Shortly after, the Israelites have uh, fled Egypt and crossed over the Red Sea. They're now in the wilderness. They've not yet gone to Sinai. They've not yet received the Ten Commandments from God, and we read this. On the sixth day, they gathered—this is talking about manna that came from heaven, that God provided for his people— to sustain them in the wilderness. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to uh, to be kept Till the morning. And this was not new information to them. They did what they were told because they understood the six and one pattern that God had established. And it's not that God had established it on Sinai with his covenant with his people, culminating in the Ten Commandments. They understood it because it is something that God had established from the very beginning. Sabbath rest was not new to the Israelites when God told them in the fourth commandment to rest, it was something that they were already observing. It was part of God's creative order itself. Then you get to Exodus 20. And I'd only, I only I read the first few verses of the fourth commandment, intentionally leaving off verse 11. Look at verse 11. For in, the, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In Exodus 20, as God is giving his commands to Moses to deliver his covenant to his people, the Lord appeals to his creative order. He appeals to that seventh day, what had already been revealed to them, that God had set the Sabbath day aside as holy. There was something more to it than just earthly rest. And yes, the command had a practical purpose, that their people would rest. But it also had a doctrinal significance, that they would recognize that God had established that day as a blessed and holy day. Set apart so that they would consider it blessed and holy and live as such. Now then, Sabbath rest, eventually extends beyond the six-in-one work week to things like festivals that God had established for his people and other sacred days. And it becomes a sign of the covenant. In Exodus 31, we read this, and the Lord says to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. So above everything else I've told you, you keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and And you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does, no, whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. You say, wow, God took this serious. I mean, how many times did God say, my people are gonna keep the Sabbath? My people are gonna keep the Sabbath. If they don't, we're gonna kill them. I mean, this was important to God. Why? 17, verse 17 in that passage is the answer. Because it was a sign forever. It was a sign that they were a blessed and holy people of God. It was something that none of the other people around them were doing relates in some ways to circumcision. Circumcision was the initial sign of the covenant that all males would be circumcised with the people of Israel and no other people around them were doing that. The same is true about Sabbath. No one else was was honoring the Sabbath as holy and God's people were expected to do so as a sign of the covenant that they were a special people set apart by God. Then... The Lord's rest goes from being something they observe to a place that God promises them. The land itself, the promised land, becomes both a place of rest and a place that experiences rest. In Joshua 1.13, we read, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. The land itself was a promise of rest to the people. Now, if you know what happens after Joshua, that the people take the land and they don't always obey God, and so it was not always a place of rest for them. Sometimes they were taken out of that land and returned to it and then taken out of the land and returned to it because the people would move in and out of this resting place depending upon their obedience to God. So the command for Sabbath rest is both a practical, I need to rest. It's a doctrinal thing saying, I am trusting God and I am set apart by God. Um, the, the Old Testament people of God were set apart because they would observe it. And then rest finds its place in a land, in Israel, that was their land of rest, that itself would experience rest that there were Sabbath years and these were called jubilee years for the land, that the land would be rotated. God established all of this and his commands to them. So the land represented the rest of God. Now we get to the New Testament. And in that same story, I'm going to quote it from Luke 6, but in that same story that we saw in Mark earlier where the Pharisees questioned Jesus' disciples breaking off some grain and eating it, and Jesus says the, about the Sabbath and its relationship to man, right? He ends that. And this is what he says. He makes a bold claim. The Son of Man, talking of himself, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of the Sabbath. What's Jesus claiming here? Jesus is claiming something that the Pharisees would have considered entirely heretical, blasphemous. Because Jesus is claiming to have been present on that initial Sabbath rest of God. Now we saw 2 weeks ago when we were looking at um, the creation account itself and who and how God how God created and through whom and we saw that all things are created through Jesus and that Jesus is present and active in creation as a part of the Trinity. And here he claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath rest. Meaning this, by saying he is the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is claiming the right to rule over it, to fulfill it, to define it as he sees fit. So when Jesus says it was okay for his disciples to pick grain, it was okay for them to pick grain because he is the one who gets to determine what is okay on the Sabbath. Because he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and that's what a Lord does. A Lord establishes his reign over something and defines the terms, ultimately leading to the fulfillment of it that Jesus fulfills Sabbath rest for us. Now, that gets us to Hebrews. Post-cross, Jesus dies in our place, is resurrected, ascends to the Father, and we have apostles in the New Testament church defining doctrine and practice for our faith. And Hebrews is written by one of the apostles that we're not certain who it is. And the author in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 3 uses the failure of Israel to enter the promised land um, before Joshua. If you'll remember when they sent spies in to Israel, the, their initial approach to um, to the promised land. They send in 12 spies and there's 12 spies come back and 10 of them are like, these people are giants, we can't take it. And two are like, we should trust God. And the people decide not to trust God and God puts them all out into the wilderness for 40 years. And every one of that generation, all the decision makers of that generation die except for those two men. And then they get to enter the promised land later. And the author of Hebrews uses that account To show us that the Old Testament people, that, that coming and going into the rest, that they failed, that many of them failed to grab a hold of the true rest of God. Now, I know this is a long passage, but I want you to bear with me, okay? I know I've read a lot already this morning. But hear what he's saying to us. Therefore, so because they failed to do so. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. And he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Talking about those who had rebelled. Although his, work, his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day of this, in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he says, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of their disobedience. Again, he appointed a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long after, in the words of already quoted, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I know it's a lot. Here's what he's saying. Them failing to enter the land of rest serves as an illustration to us. And prophets would build on that and say, another day is coming where we will more fully be able to enter the rest of God. And they were looking towards Jesus as the way to truly enter the rest of God. So God's rest now, by the time we get to Hebrews being written, God's rest is no longer a day. God's rest is no longer a place. The rest of God is something that we enter into through the one who said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So we no longer keep the seventh day, which would be Saturday. We no longer keep the Sabbath day as a day of rest to us because we no longer need to. And and I recognize there are Christian traditions out there that would dispute this. But I believe this is what the scripture is saying to us. This day, Sunday, what we as claim the New Testament calls the Lord's day is also not a Sabbath day. This is not the Sabbath because the Lord of the Sabbath has given us a rest that is greater than an earthly day of the week. It doesn't mean that you don't need to rest. You still need to apply the principle of the Sabbath to your life. You are still a creation of God that God says to rest. So rest. But understand, no longer is not working on one day of the week a sign of the covenant. We have a greater covenant. We have the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath, who has made a way for us to enter into his rest. And this is both now and not yet. We have access to the rest of God now. You can rest in God right now. Not because it's Sunday, but because Jesus has made a way for you to be right with God. So you have access then to the rest of God. It is also not yet. Because there is in eternity a promise of God's rest. Not a promise of no work. A promise of God's rest fully known without the effects of sin. So, practically speaking, what does this mean for Christians? Well, Paul writes about it in Colossians 2, and he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, today, New Testament believers are no longer concerned over a specific day of the week or a time of the year. Because these things, Paul tells us, pointed us to Christ in whom we find our rest and they are a shadow of the things to come, but not yet. They point us to a greater fulfillment of Sabbath rest, eternity with God. The pattern that God set out in creation will be restored. And his People, Old and New Testament, the people of God, the congregation will be in His rest forever. So what? We enter into the eternal rest of God through Jesus Christ alone. Hear me. Is your heart unrestful today? Do you find it difficult to, to rest? Do you, do you find it difficult to calm your mind? Do you find it that, that everything in this world bothers you? Will Christians be reminded today that Jesus provides rest for you? If you've never put your faith in Christ, to understand something, you will, through no earthly means, find the kind of rest that God promises anywhere else. There is no other source for the rest of God than God himself, and he has provided it through Jesus. There is an exclusive claim of Christianity, and that is this, that there is one way to God, the man, Jesus Christ, who died in your place, offering you rest. Listen to what he says in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly and hard, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Far too often the church has put so many burdens upon people that it has not felt like rest at all. Hear me. The yoke of Christ is light. He says, Come to me, put off all of this worldly weight, and come into my rest. That's what God offers to you today. Will you rest in Him? Will you find rest in the One who is the Lord of the Sabbath? Will you sleep well, knowing that God is in control? that he has your best interest at heart, that he is glorifying himself through you, that he has taken his sin upon himself on the cross so that you may be resting with God now and forever. If you believe that today for the first time, here's what you do. You cry out to him and you say, God, I need your rest. I come to you believing that you have made a way for me to be saved and I desire to enter into your rest. If you're watching with us at home right now, would you go to a website? There's a website that's gonna be on your screen in a moment. You can fill out a little form that's right there and one of our pastors will be in contact with you helping you along your new path of discipleship. If you're in this room, would you come talk to me at the Connect 10 after the service? I'd love to be able to share with you how this church can help you in the rest of God. Christians, use this as a reminder that it's not about what we do. It's about where we find our place in him. Rest. Don't feel like you gotta say yes to everything. Don't feel like you gotta be the guy that burns the candle at both ends or the the woman that's burning the midnight oil to get ahead. Rest in God. Trust in him. Be at peace because he offers that to us as the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the rest that you offer us. We thank you for demonstrating rest to us. Would we practically apply that to our lives? And then would we seek to live by obedience in your rest in this life, holding on to the future promise of eternal rest from you? Oh, God, would you hasten the day where we find full eternal rest, rid of the world's suffering and pain, rid of the ravaging of sin in our lives and our world, fully resting in our God. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.